everyone. Welcome to another episode of High Low with Amrata. Today is a solo episode, a Thursday episode, and we are covering the topic of narcissism today. Narcissism is all around us, and it's thanks to the rise of therapy speak, a very hot topic word, just like gaslighting and boundaries. But we wanted to talk about what narcissism actually is. Some psychologists have referred to our current time as a narcissism epidemic, which may have gotten worse because of technology. And according to experts, narcissism levels among millennials are higher than previous generations. I was curious about the actual definition of narcissism and what to do and how to spot a narcissist or even narcissistic qualities in yourself. To explore this topic, I wanted to speak to an expert on the subject about how to recognize narcissism, how big of an issue it is or isn't, and what we can do to treat it. This week, we're talking to Dr. Romani. She is a clinical psychologist, professor of psychology at California State University, and author. She's also the host of the Navigating Narcissism podcast. She has several books on the topic and has been studying narcissism for 20 years. So we will be right back with her after this break. Stay tuned for more High Low with Emrata. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. Well, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. I'm always happy when people want to talk about this. So you mentioned to me that you have been studying narcissism for over 20 years, but obviously it's quite a hot word right now. Can you talk about what that's been like to kind of see this thing that you've known for so long become? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a funny thing. I want you to imagine that you spent 15 years in a back room somewhere studying something that nobody really cared about, but you were fascinated by and nobody cared. And as an academic, you don't care that nobody cares and you're just sort of living your life. And one day the world changes, politics changes, everything changes. And this word that nobody cared about is now at the tip of everyone's tongue. But the challenge was they were all misunderstanding it, right? See, I think the big issue with narcissism is a lot of people are using the word a lot of people are using it wrong. And it's a shame because it's a great word. It's like, it's one of these really great, it's like a really big handbag mm-hmm. that you could put so much into. You just got to make sure you put the right things into it. Like you're thinking of it the right way. It's so descriptive. It's so good. But once we brought the word in, like other words, like gaslighting and all of that, they're great words, but they get misused. And so right. I then jumped into the place of like, mm, well, I've been talk- thinking about this for a long time. So maybe now it's the time to talk about it. So what exactly is a narcissist? What is that? (laughs) So narcissism is a personality style. So a narcissist would be somebody who has that personality. And narcissism is characterized by somebody who's deeply entitled. So they feel special and they deserve special treatment and they're more special than everybody else. They have 
variable empathy. Sometimes they're on, but usually they're not. Uh, they are, they're always seeking validation and admiration. Look at me, tell me I'm great. They're arrogant. They can be controlling. They are egocentric, very selfish. Everything is about them. They are grandiose. They live in sort of a fantasy world and fantasies about sort of everything. They get angry and they throw tantrums when they don't get their way. And deep inside, these are very insecure people. They're very fragile. And instead of being vulnerable, when they don't get their way, like I said, they throw tantrums. But because they're so charming and charismatic and confident, people think that they have it all together and that they're all that. So you can see how complicated this is. This isn't just somebody who's staring in a mirror and saying, I'm so great, or somebody who's all over Instagram. That doesn't necessarily mean someone's narcissistic. You got to have the other stuff too. Okay. It sounds like a lot of people I know, <laughs> which is, I think, the tricky part about this term, right? How do you diagnose a narcissist? And how can there be someone who has narcissistic traits who isn't necessarily a narcissist? Right. So let's not even use the word diagnose, like, shoom, let's throw it out. Because I think what happens is when we use that term, people think that this is like a clinical disorder and you shouldn't be saying that if you're not a doctor. To call someone narcissistic, it's a personality style, right? You have a personality, I have a personality, all these other people have personalities. And I consider myself sort of agreeable and conscientious. For example, those are my personalities. They're not diagnosis, right? Mm -hmm. So how do we sort of determine someone's narcissistic? You go through that laundry list I just gave you, and you look to see if those patterns are consistent in this person. We all have bad days. Mm -hmm. Every so often we all do throw tantrums. But you have to ask, is that our usual go-to? Is that how we almost always behave when we don't get our way? Is that doing that sort of hurting other people? Is it blowing up our life? So we're looking at how, you know, again, we all, are there times we might walk into a doctor's office and say to the receptionist, I've been waiting for two hours. We've all had that moment. Mm -hmm. But how quickly do we apologize after that saying, well, that was not cool. I am so sorry I did that to you. You know, how, how much ownership and responsibility do we take? So that's really what this, this term gets tricky, right? Because everyone's using it. Just because your boyfriend cheats on you one time doesn't necessarily mean he's narcissistic. He might be, and I need to do a deeper dive, but just that one thing doesn't make someone a narcissistic person. So I think that that's sort of the tricky piece on how do we make that determination, sort of how much is enough. And I think we, a lot of us do know people who have these styles. And they're probably people who've hurt us mm. and kind of left us feeling confused and maybe even blaming ourselves or doubting ourselves. Like, did I say what they just said I said? Or is this really my, is it my fault they had an affair? Well, they said it was. And so you start spinning. Mm. Somebody who starts kind of gets in and can start playing with your apparatus, it's almost like having your brain hacked. Yeah. That's what these relationships feel like. You've talked about several different types of narcissism. Can you speak to those different types? The classical narcissistic person everyone thinks about is the grandiose narcissist, the show off, the arrogant, look how great I am. I mean, you see that a lot in celebrity culture, right? The sort of attention-seeking kind of a person, but they're slick and they look good and they, they, they just sort of feel like they've got the goods until you're in a closed-in room with them and they're mad at you and they take it out on you. The second type of narcissist is what we call the vulnerable narcissist. These are narcissistic people that actually look more irritable, anxious, sometimes even shy, but they're sort of always resentful and always victimized. How come things don't go my way? Why is the world out to get me? How come things don't go the way I want? Mm 
Then there's what we call the communal narcissist. The communal narcissist gets their juice and they get their validation from being perceived as somebody who does all these good things for the world. Like, mm. look at me rescuing people. Look at me raising all this savior money. Savior complex. Yeah, it's a yeah. savior mm. complex, a lot of spiritual bypassing. Like, I'm so cool and I meditate seven hours a day, so I'm better than you. Oof. It's that whole know those vibe, people. Right? So that's, in California. Yeah, so. California. <laughs> There's so, a lot of those. Yeah. And, but it's, and again, this is people meditate seven hours a day and it's working for them and they're not using it as a way to get validation. Y'all just keep meditating. Totally. That works. But right. not making it sort of your way of being validated validated and then shaming other people. But there are also self-righteous narcissists who are very morally rigid, who are, they can be really sort of controlling and cruel with money. They can be weird about time. Like I said, we're eating at seven and you got here at 720, so we're done. And it's you're like, okay, that's really cold. Or, well, you know, we don't like people like that. So they can feel discriminatory, but they rigid, rigid, rigid. And people who grew up with a parent, for example, who is sort of a self-righteous narcissistic person, the world might have seen this person as like, well, they're very moralistic and they're, you know, they're very organized and precise. They work all the time. They get a lot of identity from their work, but to the detriment of other human beings, that's also a subtype of narcissism. Yeah, I think we hit we hit most of the, okay. the big ones. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we you mentioned the term gaslight a little bit earlier. There's obviously that's another word that's being, you, you see it on TikTok, everybody's gaslighting, everybody's a narcissist. Do you think that there's a downside to this kind of, these words infiltrating pop culture mm -hmm. and becoming common? I absolutely do. Because like I said, it's a subtle word. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping even after listening to this episode, some of your listeners will say, oh, I didn't know those pieces of it. Like I just thought it was somebody who was a jerk. All narcissists are jerks, not all jerks are narcissists. Let's just put mm -hmm. it that way. I mean, gaslighting's a big word. It was a 2022 word of the year. I couldn't believe that. It used to be just a therapist word. Like therapists use the word gaslighting, nobody else. And there is a there is a real risk because I think that A, it's a heavy word. And I think if people just sort of use it dismissively, they're calling someone narcissistic who messed up once, right? It almost cheapens the experience of people who actually really are going through narcissistic relationships who may also feel silenced and shamed like oh we don't know that that person's narcissistic and yet they're getting help and they've again really suffered people get who get stuck in narcissistic relationships often get stuck for years because they are so confused and the relationships are so confusing but i think that when we take these heavy words and everybody like you said all over tiktok is saying it and i'd say 80 to 90% of those people may not very well be dealing with it. Mm -hmm. It really takes, it, again, my biggest concern is how it diminishes the experience of people who are really going through this stuff. How does one recover from a relationship with a narcissist and how does a narcissist also recover from their narcissistic this tendencies? Is a great question. So let's start with the people in the relationships. It's not easy. It really isn't. It can take for some people years. This is sort of the focus of my clinical practice. And I do, you know, I do like a whole healing program for people going through this. It is a, it's a process of grief, like grieving, almost giving up on yourself. Mm -hmm. It's about ending that cycle of self-blame. It's about radical acceptance. And the hardest thing for people healing from this is to fully and completely accept that this person who I loved and maybe even still love 
is never going to change. Mm -hmm. This is it. And I think a lot of people put a lot of stake and weight in the idea that this person is going to change and this relationship could have gotten better if I did this and if I did this. And to sort of shut that down brings up more grief. Mm -hmm. So it's really a process of working through, learning about it, integrating it. For some folks, it was downright traumatic. So then traumatic, uh, uh, trauma-informed work, somatic experiencing, all of that becomes part of that process. Depends on the severity and how long the relationship was, can have a lot to do with, you have kids with this person, so you have to keep having to deal with them. Mm -hmm. That makes it a lot worse. Are these your parents and you don't feel like you can distance? So it's how much contact you have to have and how significant the relationship was. Mm -hmm. Now to your next part of the question, what about the narcissistic people? Can they change? It's a unicorn if, if you see somebody with that personality change. And like I said, you have a personality. I have a personality. How easily could you change your personality? Not so easy. I mean, I am not overnight going to stop being conscientious or, or dis I'm not going to become disagreeable. Even if I went into disagreeable therapy, it's a silly example because being agreeable is good, but actually it's not. Agreeable people make right. less money. Mm -hmm. And so the narcissistic person has to think they're behavior's a problem, mm -hmm. have insight into their behavior being a problem, take responsibility for their behavior, find therapy, go to therapy, commit to therapy, let their defenses down long enough. Mm -hmm. This I, sounds like a fairy tale. <laughs> it's pretty rare. I have to say over the years, I've worked with many narcissistic clients in my practice. Over time, I even grew very fond of them and mm -hmm. wanted to see them succeed. But what we'd say, let's say this is healthy, and this is how they came in. I don't know if this is, a, so people listening to this and not watching it, I have one hand way up and the other hand way down, okay? And so I think in therapy, and I've seen this happen, I've gotten the client up to about maybe a third of the way. It's progress, I saw the change, but I'm telling you now, their partner or someone close to them, this higher line, they said, thank you, but they're still gaslighting me, they're still manipulating, they're still lying, they're still betraying. So, okay, you know, so the people being hurt will say, this is probably not enough. For me as a shrink, I'm saying we made some change, but that right. disconnect means we're not getting them all the way to healthy. Right. There is sort of no recovery almost. Not really. Stay tuned for more High Low with Emrata. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and... What do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome back to High Low with Emrata. Is narcissism always a negative? I've heard about the idea of healthy narcissism or normal narcissism as opposed to pathological narcissism. We're making an interesting distinction. I would, so when we talk about sort of this normal healthy narcissism, I actually prefer to sort of stick my hand in there and pull what the healthy parts out instead of taking this word, which traditionally is so harmful. By definition, mm -hmm. somebody not having consistent empathy, 
I don't know that the, I consider that ever healthy or somebody being entitled. I don't know that that's ever healthy and it's part and parcel of narcissism. I would rather say that we have narcissism and it's pathological, but the, if you will, quote unquote, good elements of narcissism, I would say the assertiveness and the self-advocacy that they'll fight the fight. I suppose if you have a lawyer, you'd love if they were narcissistic because they're definitely going to negotiate really well if you have an agent or something like that. Mm -hmm. You hope they're super narcissistic. I actually think narcissism may not necessarily be, be bad for athletes who may just sort of say, I don't care what I have to do. I'm winning this game. So mm -hmm. if I was running a professional sports franchise, I'll say, I hope they're not too abusive and don't end up in the headlines, but I'm going to win some games. So it works in certain industries. I still don't think that's healthy, right. but I think if you pull out the assertiveness, mm -hmm. I think if you put out, brought out the, the self-advocacy and maybe even some of the willingness to take risks, mm -hmm. those might be the only parts of it I would pull out. I do, narcissism is actually not having healthy self-esteem. It's having distorted self-esteem. They think they're great when they don't have the goods to back it up. So right. I don't even think the self-esteem stuff's a win. So I'm not a fan of the term. I understand what pe why people are saying it, mm. but I think that's the stuff they're pulling out. Right. Um, and that's gray area at best stuff, I would say. Yeah. What makes someone a narcissist? So making a narcissist, there are different pathways, right? So it's almost like there's four ways to make the recipe. And so you end up at the same destination. There's one pathway is sort of what I consider more of the the dark and difficult pathway of early life issues like um, attachment fails, chaos, trauma, neglect, chronic invalidation. So the kid grows up in an environment where they are chronically being invalidated in a number of ways. But that's not going to take every child and turn them narcissistic. A lot of people have grown up that way most of those people don't become narcissistic. Mm -hmm. We have to have a certain temperament in a child, right? Mm -hmm. So the child, every child's born with a temperament, right? It's sort of like the genetic-y, biologically-based part of personality, nature, right? right? This is the we nature. We all have one. This mm -hmm. is why someone would say, you, gosh, you laugh just like this aunt you've never met. You didn't, Obviously, you're not mimicking her, you haven't met her, but it's in your genetics. So some kids are born with difficult temperaments. They really are. They're high need. They are attention seeking. They are difficult to soothe. They're difficult. They're difficult kids. Their parents get more burned out as they get older. Teachers get more burned out. But those difficult temperaments are often a seed. Again, not all kids with difficult temperaments become narcissistic, but there's definitely a higher risk. And some interesting research showing kids who have tough temperaments, even between eight and 10 years old, if you predict that out into adulthood, they're more likely to have relationship problems, work problems, all that stuff. So it's, those, it's tougher for those kids because it's almost like the world doesn't know how to manage them and they have a lot of invalidation experiences but there's another pathway to narcissism. And that's sort of the spoiled child. Mm -hmm. This is the child who's overindulged, who never hears no, who doesn't learn to regulate. And the biggest mistake those parents make is they tell that child they're too special. You're more special than anyone else. You're more special than the other kids. That hyper-specialness, the lack of limits, the you can have everything, anything, not learning that regulation, that's another path to narcissism. When you say regulation, are you talking about self-regulation? Emotional yeah. and self-regulation. Right. So learning to wait your turn, right. um, managing your emotions in an appropriate way, not lashing out at somebody else. You know, obviously little kid, little, little kids, they have to learn that though. There has to be a consequence yes. if they yes. lash out like that. And they slowly learn. And they're all, it's not just don't ever do that again. It's that little child, that other child was hurt. Yeah. 
by what you did, building you know, empathy, exactly making building them understand. empathy, yeah. right? So these kids are often told like, oh, who cares about the other kids? You're the most special. That path of trauma I told you about, that can breed vulnerable narcissism or even malignant narcissism. Back to the types of narcissism. That's the type I didn't talk about, mm. which is interesting. I left that type out, which is malignant narcissism. Malignant narcissism is the most severe form of narcissism. Oh. It's exploitative. It's manipulative, coercive, downright dangerous. It's here where you're more likely to see physical abuse, far more significant psychological abuse. So the outcomes are worse for people in relationships with malignant narcissists. It almost has a psychopathy vibe to mm. it, sociopathy vibe. Because the lack of empathy is The more lack of empathy striking. is more pronounced uh -huh. and they're more controlling and they're mm. more manipulative and they take more advantage of people and they really do a psychological number on people. They may isolate them from sources of support. Like it looks almost more of what we think of when we think classically of like domestic, classically like domestic abuse. Mm -hmm. That's those, those sorts of situations. But my point in that is that more traumatizing pathway can lead to more of a vulnerable or malignant kind of representation that you're the best, you're more special, no regular, like not teaching them to sort of manage those tantrums. Those kids go on to be more likely to be grandiose narcissists. So the pathways sort of matter. And there's also a cultural piece. There are cultures where if you're the firstborn son, you can do no wrong. Then they get that whole, you're hyper special and all of that. And the culture sort of supports that. So when the culture supports it, and you have the temperament. So you need the early environment, you need the temperament, and you often need the culture. And when you put that all in the cocktail shaker, you pour out most likely a narcissist. But even with all those ingredients in place, it still is not a guarantee. Right, mm -hmm. right. Is this generation, millennials, Gen Z, are they more susceptible to becoming narcissists? There's two takes on that. One group says yes, okay, one group says no. One group says that traditionally older people have always viewed adolescents and young adults as more narcissistic than they were at the same age. That's just sort of, and we've seen that over time, classic. right? It's classic, right? Be, why? Because by definition, adolescents and people to around 25, 26 years of age, their brains are still developing in a way that when until the frontal lobes fully develop, you're dealing with a pretty selfish person. Adolescents are selfish. Young adults are selfish. And in a way that they're sort of doing something called individuating. They're becoming their own people. And as part of that, it's parents and other people, like anyone they view, um, authority figures, but probably people they feel are telling them to do things, they're oppositional towards them, but they often do great with their peers, right? So we are, we're always gonna think that. Millennials and Gen Z, that generate, those generations grew up with different things, right? Digitally, they grew up differently. And so how they interact with each other, we have to be careful not to pathologize a young person modifying themselves to how people communicate in a generation. It's, it's troubling to me when I see someone older, I'm putting myself in that old seat, talking about someone who's 25 and saying, oh, they're so this, they're so that. Mm, they're doing things differently because we didn't have that tool. And so, I, I have to say though, to your, the only place where I think that that camp of researchers that thinks this group might be a little more narcissistic, I think parenting practices pendulumed over. Mm -hmm. So I think that in whatever the hell generation I'm, Gen X, I guess I am. So in the boomers, Gen X probably had parents that were more authoritarian, not as warm, not as validating, just sort of said, get home by dark and I'll give you some dinner. Rules, that was it. Exactly. No explanation. Millennials and Gen Zs got a lot more of this parental attention. I think in some cases, probably too, too permissive. Mm -hmm. And that's where we might see some of those 
chickens coming home to roost, but also these are two generations, millennials and Gen Zs, that are inheriting a terrible world. A economically um, unfair world, a, a climate unfair world, I'd be mad too. Right. So I think that we, again, we have to put all of this in a context and we've changed the rules. We're like, we're like, work hard and you'll get this. I'm like, work hard and you're never going to have a home. Right. How do you, I mean, that we've got to, we have to build that into the empathy for generations. I really think got screwed. So that's yeah. my take. Well, it makes sense even culturally for people to kind of feel hopeless and then just say, well, I'm going to look out for only myself. What do you think about the internet? I mean, how it plays into this? Because I hate when older generations are like, oh, that person is always documenting everything. They're always taking pictures of themselves. It's like, well, if you had that phone, you'd probably do the same thing. How do we think internet reinforces narcissism or does it? It can. I'll never forget the day. It was 2007, 8, 9. I remember because I had little kids at the time and I was sitting at my desk. I was still married, so I was living in a different place. And I remember somebody saying, there's this thing called Facebook. And have you looked at it? Because it's sort of interesting. So I looked at the early, it was like the early days I came out and I was like, oh my God, this is going to be a disaster with this narcissism thing. Because I thought, once think about this, once upon a time for a narcissistic person to get validation, they actually had to leave the house. They had to get up, take a shower, do a shave, do a this, do a that, put their clothes on and go out to where there were other people. That took effort. So you weren't getting validation at three in the morning, right? You actually had to put some effort into getting that validation. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is like putting like cocaine dispensers in everyone's home. Like right. this is going to be tricky. And it was, and it is. There's a ton of research on if people po uh, post selfies, are they narcissistic? Narcissistic people post way more selfies, but it doesn't necessarily mean that people who post selfies are narcissistic. It doesn't always go. It's always it, the internet's another tool. Basically. It's a tool, yeah, right? Narcissistic people are deeply skilled at using this tool, mm -hmm. so they do use it to get validation and admiration and likes and clicks and followers. But it is unfair to say everyone who's doing that lacks empathy and is entitled and grandiose. I've met a lot of people who are big in that space and they're lovely, well-regulated, thoughtful human beings. And I've met many people in that space who are the most wretched human beings I've ever met in my life. You got to do the deep dive and figure out who they are. But I think that just simply pathologizing the sort of selfiness of it all is risky because again, we're taking what I said from the beginning, this complicated thing, this complicated personality style and boiling it down to one behavior. It's very hard. I'm somebody who likes to believe in the gray area of good and bad people. But when you're describing this and even just what you said about wretched people, delightful, are some people just inherently bad people? Is that something you believe with your research? I, I It depends on how you define wretched and bad, right? Mm. I think that somebody who's willing to manipulate someone else, chronically betray other people, violate their rights, control them, oppress them, dominate them, take advantage of them, bad person, wretched person. I mean, those are philosophical terms. Right. I do think though, somebody, malignant narcissism is a great example of that. Somebody who has that personality style more often than not is making choices and decisions that hurt other people and they don't care. And that absence of not caring. We, you, I, all of us have made at least one choice in our life that hurt someone else. Mm -hmm. And we may have lived with that decision. We have, it may have attempted to make amends for that decision. But that one, it might have been one amongst thousands, hundreds of thousands of decisions over a lifetime. There were always 
oriented in the right direction, right? The malignant narcissistic person, the math is totally the other way. Everything is done for themselves. So it's not like, and again, one thing I want to be clear about narcissism is as a rule, they're not intentionally going around trying to harm people. They're not psychopathic, right? They really are just so selfish and so focused on themselves that heck, you might even be on the right side of their decision. And there might be a day that a narcissistic person makes a choice that benefits you or someone else, you know? So you might say, well, I think they're a nice person, but we have to stop and think that that same choice actually burned a lot of other people or they've burned other people through these choices. It's just all about them. Some people will benefit from their choices, but over time, spend enough time with a narcissistic person, you will get burned and you will get burned repeatedly. So it's a tough call. I think that narcissistic people aren't are not up to long-term, committed, mutual, respectful, compassionate relationships. Mm -hmm. They do not have that capacity. What about the ethical component? Like are these people that just don't, have never learned ethics and empathy? I mean, empathy is obviously something we feel, we learn compassion, but what about just being ethical? Like this is a decision I'm gonna make. This feels wrong because it's gonna hurt so many people. How do narcissists miss that kind of that part? They don't like ethics uh -huh. because it's a it feels judgy and shaming to them, right? It's a, they're not good at ethics. They know laws, and and the reason a narcissistic person won't break a law is because they don't want the consequence, and they often are so entitled enough to believe they won't either get the consequence or they can worm out of the consequence. Ethics are like you said, they're more gray, right? You know, and so they do very badly with that, and they view the ethics as a nuisance, as getting in the way of them getting, you know, doing things like, oh, this is why you can't build a business fast enough because there's all these stupid rules and regulations. And they don't understand what those exist to protect. And then after the fact, we'll make up all kinds of rationalizations and justifications for the narcissistic person being viewed as good is really important. So when you make an ethical violation, somebody's, many people are going to view that as a problem. They don't like that loss of public valuing that can happen. So they'll often blame shift. You know, this is because the rule was done. This is because everyone's out to get me. This is because right. everyone wants me to fail instead of, ooh, I actually made a choice that was not good and not okay and not safe. So much of what you talked about is early childhood. And obviously I have a two and a half year old and I'm thinking about all this stuff and teaching him, you know, boundaries and everything else. What can you tell parents about how they're raising their children that can help defeat narcissism within their kids? Be present with them, validate them, but don't, don't fluff them and don't pump them up unnecessarily. I mean, if it, I'm not telling you to tell your child like, mm, yeah, you could have done better on this drawing. No, appreciate the drawing, but it's also, again, not telling them they're more special than other children. Mm -hmm. Never that's like all, every, all of you are special so that they understand that idea. Again, that ethical idea that we don't just take something from someone else. One thing I tell parents is read books with kids, age-appropriate books, and stop and ask them, how do you think the bear felt? at the end of it, like take those as moments, whatever it is, a bear or a zebra. How do you think that zebra felt when those other zebra kids wouldn't, when the zebra children wouldn't play with them? So it's not just closing the book, it's actually doing that kind of emotional exploration, especially parents of boys. You know, I think where boys and men have really been harmed by all of this is we've often shamed emotion. Mm -hmm. And boys and men, if they show that vulnerable emotion, they're viewed as weak, or that's what their parents told them, 
never shame emotion. If if so many boys here, oh, don't cry. Boys don't cry. Be tough. Mm -mm." You know, if they're crying, say, hey, what's going on, buddy? Let's talk about it. That there is a safe space to be vulnerable with feeling an emotion and show emotion with your kids. I mean, obviously within appropriate bounds, but it's okay to say, ah, you know, I I had a tough day, but you know what? There's there's things we can do when we have tough days, right? So I think that a lot of parents almost want to feel, they want their child to never experience distress. And that's one big mistake I'm seeing in the parenting shift. Like, I don't want my kids to ever experience one bad thing. Like, the bad thing is where the good stuff happens. Well, it's about how they learn to cope, yes. right? Like you said, yes. self-regulate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's That's very important. Big. You mentioned um, young boys in particular. Do you find that narcissists tend to be male? The, when we look at the numbers writ large, men are overrepresented. It makes sense because of how they're raised, how they're shaped, what they're valued for. However, when we look at that subtype of narcissism, I told you it's called vulnerable narcissism. Mm. It's equal Interesting. across genders. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. My final question for people who are listening and realizing that they maybe have experienced a narcissist and are are in a relationship, what are sort of the like bullet points that you would give them to deal and to start to recover? So they're out of the relationship now. Let's hope so. Okay. So because you know what? Many people say. I'm asking for a friend. Okay. Okay. All right. So here we go. Someone just say this to your friend and to everybody. Okay. Is number one, if your narcissistic relationship lasted a year or longer, I really, really call people to take a year off from relationships. Mm. And that's everything. And people think, no sex? I'm like, ideally, no sex. I mean, I don't know, invest in a vibrator, figure it out yourself. But like, don't put yourself in that space because this is a year of coming back to yourself. And if the relationship lasted one year, 10 years, 20 years, I don't care, a year off. Now people say, come on, I was only with this person for three months, really? I said, then take three months, however long the relationship was. Once you hit the year point or longer, a year off. These relationships are hijack, they hijack you. So to come back to yourself, what did I actually like to do? What were my preferences? What temperature did I want to keep the bedroom at? You lose all of that because the narcissistic person actually tells you, no, this room's too cold. Meanwhile, you're thinking, actually, no, I think I liked that. So come back, use that as a time to come back to yourself, build out your social supports, be with the people who see you accurately, who you feel like you can fully be yourself with, you don't feel judged by, you don't feel shamed by. If you don't have those people, slowly build those consider therapy. If the relationship really did that much of a number on a person, I know therapy is not accessible to everyone, but consider if you can, even even if it's six to eight sessions can make yeah. a difference. There's group therapy can often be helpful. There are even support groups that sometimes come together and talk about these issues. And if a person really experienced significant trauma in the relationship to really explore trauma-informed models of therapy, that becomes really essential. Finding, find find that thing that makes your heart sing in life, whatever it is. It could be the work you did you, and you continue to do, but the person's like, well, now I'm not being harassed all the time, so I'm actually back to enjoying my work. Someone might take on a new hobby. They may take a class. They don't feel judged. They don't have the narcissist voice saying, what are you doing? You'll never succeed at that. But to really take a minute to say, I've got to figure out the thing that makes my heart sing and start cutting out the other toxic people in Mm. your life. You know, where one came in the door, trust me, it's like flies. Many others are already in there. There was just one fly that was louder than the rest. You get that one out of the way. You're like, ooh, there's a lot of flies in here. Slowly start figuring out. Doesn't mean you have to go and delete everyone from your phone, but it does mean that you have to take a minute and say, I need to figure out how to 
disengage and not get into the mud with all of these people in the same way. I have to value myself differently. And then also watch how you talk to yourself. After a narcissistic relationship, a lot of people will talk to themselves in a more disparaging manner. I'm not made for relationships. Maybe I don't know how to love. Maybe this is a me thing. Mm, probably was a them thing. So stop this, the negative self-talk. Stop the chronic apologizing. Those are the things that are so built into the language of survivors. But it's time. It's time. Time with self. Time doing things that feel good and make a person feel solid again. And then when you are back out there in the world, meeting people again, slow it the hell down. Right. Take the time to fully feel the energy of this relationship, not just the bells and whistles, not like, we're so fun, we're having such a good time, we're traveling. Uh-uh. How it feels, do I feel safe? Can I bring my whole self to this relationship? Or do I feel if I do, they're gonna be there, I'm gonna feel judged or shamed. If that's the case, so again, slow way down. Narcissistic people don't like it when not, they're not running the time clock for a relationship. So if you slow it down, they'll say, hey, what are you doing? You're not interested in me? He said, no, I feel better at this pace. They'll say, I guess you're not that into me. And if they try to pull that stunt, which is the ultimate gaslight, you just got your data early. Start okay. backing out and get out. All right. Well, I hope that advice um, comes in handy for a lot of people. <laughs> I and so I just too. so appreciate you doing this. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you so much. Really an interesting. And for people watching on YouTube, these are the books that I am very excited to get into. Thank you again for coming in. Thank you so again nice to meet so you. much. It's so nice to meet you Great. too. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to another episode of High Low with Amrata. I found that episode quite fascinating, um, a little terrifying, although I don't think that was Dr. Romani's intention. It's pretty wild to realize that there are so many people who struggle with empathy and compassion and ethics as well. I'm curious to hear from all of you on the topic. Have you experienced, uh, have you been in a relationship with a narcissist? Have you worked with a narcissist? Do you have a parent who's a narcissist? What do you think about the rise of the word and the term narcissist in pop culture do you think it's being overused what was it like listening to this episode we want to hear from you go to hilo.fm to submit your voice notes on the subject we use those for our subscription episode every thursday thank you so much for listening and we will be back with a guest on tuesday Hilo with Imrata is a Sony Music Entertainment and Bitch Era Media production. Our executive producers are me, Emily Radikowski, Matt Raz, and Sarita Wesley. Our showrunner is Matt Raz. Our associate producer is Rachel Choder. Today's episode was engineered by Samantha Gatsik with original music by The Crystal Pharaoh.